This morning, um, the, the title of the message is Mythbusting Evangelism. And um, I probably need to just kind of orientate you a little bit to what's going on this morning. Um, it, it is a sermon, I suppose, in some ways, but it's not a sermon like I normally preach. Um, because I just, I, I, yeah, often with me, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I know where it's going. I know the points. And this morning, it's not exactly that way. And let me explain to you why. You know, I, I just, you know, if you're observant and you've got ears, you'd have heard a lot lately about evangelism. You've seen an uprising. You know, particularly James and Aaron and, and Dave have been particularly zealous about evangelism recently. And, uh, and I've reflected on the, the, the kind of the church the life of our church, there's a few things you might kind of hop back to your memory. I did a sermon last year, or a series about up in and out. And I remember we had a little whiteboard here where we, we, we put stuff on there, kind of the things that we've done and the things we could do, upwards to honor God and inwards to bless the church and outwards to the world outside. And we looked and said, you know, we don't do as much outwardly. Maybe God is stirring that up. Equally, there's, there's, there's another way of thinking about it. We, as a leadership Look and go. There are four things that God calls this church to do to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus, for us to be a people who love one another, for us to be a church that serves the community, and for us to be a church that shares the gospel. And again, you know, if you're honest about it, you look and go, well, some of those we do a bit more than others. Some of those we're a bit more mature in than others. Some we give a little more focus to than others. And I've been personally convicted that God says, you've got to speak a bit more about evangelism. And so that's where I'm coming from. And in doing that, I recognize that, the, that there are two words that, that put fear into people, or confusion, or a little bit of apprehension. One is theology. Oh dear, that sounds a little bit, oh, me. And the other is evangelism. That sounds scary. And I want to kind of bring the two together for you without it being too daunting. Because, you know, what we believe influences what we do. Our theology, the things that we, the way we understand the Word of God and the way we understand God works, the way we understand the way the world works, all that stuff that we think influences what we do. And the way we think about evangelism, what comes up in our mind, will influence what we do about that. It'll influence whether you even share the good news about Jesus or not. Depends on how you think about these things. How you go about sharing that will be informed by your theology, by your view on this. And, and why you even bother will be influenced by your understanding of what God's Word says. These things influence what we do. Who you choose to share the good news about Jesus with will be influenced by that. And when you choose to and where you choose to. And so I'm aware that what we believe we know and what we think we know are maybe things that we've misunderstood. They will influence and direct what we do, what we don't do, where we do it, how we do it, why we do it. You know, if you have a view that anywhere on the coast of our country is infested with sharks, you may not go swimming. That belief will give you that view. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. If you believe that, it will influence what you choose to do. You just think about the practicality. You're in your kitchen and there is a baking tray on the side. Your belief in whether it's roasting red hot or not will influence whether you put the oven gloves on to move it or not. I don't know if you've experienced that. Someone gets out of the oven and puts it on the side, doesn't warn you it's hot. No, I'll just move that. Ouch! Because you believed it was cool and easy to touch. What we believe influences that. And so I want to myth bust some things that we may or may not believe. 
things that we may have heard, things that we may have, you know, sometimes myths are these little short little pithy views and then they, they kind of get stuck in our brain and then we, we embellish them and maybe we get them slightly wrong. Maybe they're slightly right but slightly wrong. Maybe they're totally wrong. And so my aim this morning is to equip us with a better understanding of what the Word of God says and how we're meant to approach evangelism. And in doing that, oh, I realize I've got a title, haven't I? Right, there we go. Mythbusting evangelism, right, if you hadn't heard already. And in doing that, I want to do it in a very peculiar way. If ever you have seen game shows where the, the, where the, um, the, the panel get to see all the categories that they get to choose from, right, this is where my sermon gets a little bit chaotic. Because I don't know what I'm going to preach on. I'm going to give that into your hands. Right? Here are 12 myths. I'm not going to preach a 12-point sermon this morning. I don't know which one of these I'm going to preach. Just give you a chance to look at those. And, and, and I'm just going to go where you guys want me to go. Now, just to warn you in advance, some of these, when I get to unpack them, are wrong. Some of them are yes, but, and some are yes, and, right? And you're not going to know which they are until you pick on one of them. Um, and so, I don't know, everyone put your hand up. You want to choose a category? We'll see where we go this morning. So I want to pick a myth that we're going to bust. I don't know where we're going to go, right? Who wants to pick one? Sam, which one are you picking? God doesn't need me to share Jesus with others. God doesn't need me to share Jesus with others. Well, let's see about that. Where am I in my notes? There I am. God doesn't need me. You know, the, um, the God of the universe is completely able to do everything. He's completely able to do anything. He's the one who parted the Red Sea, made a way for them all to walk through. He closed the mouths of lions that could have torn Daniel to, to shreds in the lion's den. And he made the sun stand still to fulfill his word. This is the God that we serve and the God that we know. And we know he's more than capable. And quite frankly, he doesn't need you. The conversion on the road to Damascus for Saul shows you that Jesus is able to appear to anyone. That's the God we serve. But... It's a rather big part. God has a way of placing his will and his desire in the hands of you and I. It's amazingly humbling that God chooses to go, you know what, I could do it all. But he chooses to partner with us. Jesus humbled himself and came and made himself frail and weak. He didn't have to. Seems to me there's something about the way that God works with humanity involves him actually humbling himself, even though he's the God of the universe, and giving something to us. We were only talking yesterday, we were together as a leadership team, and we were talking about how the word of God is a written word. And anytime you write something down, you give power to someone else to read it in a certain way. Even the word of God that we have, he's humbled himself to go, go you read it. He's given that. That seems to be something that God does. You know, as a baby needs a parent's protection, that baby is, is in the hands of a parent. And as an adult needs, a, you know, as a baby, Jesus comes. And he's 
just remember that with the, the Christmas story? Jesus comes as a baby. And in that, he needs the protection of his parents. He humbles himself. Even when Jesus goes to feed the 5,000, he needs a little boy to, to bring fish and loaves. You know, he could have just dreamed it out of nowhere, but this is the way that God works. Even when Jesus is dead on the cross, he needs Joseph to provide a tomb. I want you to see that even though the truth is that God can do it completely without you, and every now and again, miraculously, he does, the more consistent way that God works with humanity is to put his, it's almost like he puts his life in your hands, his will and his plan in your hands. And the gospel plan for us has been entrusted to men and women. Romans 10 13 to 15, and you won't have any scriptures coming up because I didn't know where we're going to go, and I can't get a magic PowerPoint deck that can go wherever we'll go this morning, right? So, Romans 10, 13 to 15, says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who does that. But, another big but here, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? <laughs> they get to call on him, but how are they going to do it if they never get to hear? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The truth is he chooses to choose you to share the good news. Even though he's self-sufficient, we might even put it this way, he needs you and I to share the good news. And when we do that, he says our feet are beautiful. Karen has this weird thing about feet. She says some feet aren't beautiful, right? And on sweaty days, nobody's feet are beautiful, right? But God, it's a great expression here, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. He needs us. The world out there needs us. God has a miraculous ability to intervene in history. But throughout most of the time, he's like, I need you. I need you. I need you to tell them. How are they going to know unless you tell them? And so God doesn't need me to share the good news about Jesus, but he, he does need me. He does need me. And we can't sit back and go, God, you work the miracle. Because he says, but I want to partner with you. I want to work through you. And so as believers, we have to look and go, God needs you. He needs you. Not, I mean, I know the world needs you, but he needs you. To share the good news. Because how will they know unless we tell them? Let me just check. Does that answer your question, Sam? You pulled it up. Any, any, any questions about that? We're going to get more interactive. Does that raise any questions for people? Feel free to ask questions as well. Thank you, Bev. I appreciate feedback like that. Okay, who wants to myth bust another one? Where are we going? I get to lead people to Jesus. I get to lead people to Jesus. I recognize that when we think about evangelism and sharing our faith, there is an inherent pressure in the back of our mind to what I call get someone over the line. <laughs> so I've got to just get them over the line because I get to lead people to Jesus. And we're not salespeople with monthly targets. 
right? Just, 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 just drop that, right? That's not, that's not the church that God has created. What's your returns this week? How many of you got over the line, right? Jesus had more people reject him than receive his message, right? If Jesus is going to be the best one at this, he had more people reject him than go, I'm going to follow after you. In actual fact, sometimes the more Jesus spoke, the crowds that he had go, yeah, no, I'm checking out of this one, I'm, right? We're not here to close the deal, if I put it that way. You know, we're here to invite the called. Let's have a little read of um, Matthew. Um, it might be a familiar story when Jesus tells the parable of the sower. Matthew 13. So in Matthew 13, Jesus tells this story that we've had told many times uh, around churches. This parable of a sower who goes out sowing seeds. It starts in verse 3 in Matthew 13. It says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seeds, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. The, the disciples listen to this and go, yeah, we've got ears to hear, but we're not understanding it, Jesus. So when we get to uh, verse 18, he explains, he says, Hear then the parable of the soul. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown. This is what was sown along the path. As what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet there's no root in himself. He endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred and another sixty and another thirty. I want you to hear in the parable the difference in the result was not in the seed and it wasn't in the sower. It was in the soil. It was in where it landed. And so this... um. This thing that we can feel this pressure like I've got to get people over the line starts to impact our identity of Christians. I'm not very good at that. I can't do that or I didn't go anywhere. And you've got to realize you are a sower. We're there to invite people. That's our job. We're there to scatter seed. And some of it falls in plenty of places where it goes nowhere. And some of it falls in places where you think, yes. And then three months later, you're like, where is it gone? It's the same seed. It's the same great good news about Jesus, but, but Jesus seems to be pretty relaxed about this. He's like, our job is to sow the seed. So let me just say, take some weight off your shoulders. There's so much guilt and pressure around evangelism. When we're sowers of seed, we just give invitations. We're not, we're not in this business of salesmanship. We're more like advertisers going, hey, there's a great thing. Do you want it? And some people go, no. 
And some people go, oh, I'll give it a try. And then life gets difficult and they're like, oh, I'm going to check out of this. You can't save anyone. You can only give an invitation to Jesus. You can tell the good news. You can share how great Jesus is. But you can't create the soil. You can't. The soil is the soil. So what we have to do is it's a, it's a moment of faith. It's trusting in the power of the seed to do a transforming work. It's trusting in the wisdom of God to know that the, the right soil gets the right seed. But if you listen to this parable, there's a lot of wasted seed going on. He doesn't give a parable of a sower who goes and says, Mm, this looks a bit rocky, I'm going to move on. Oh, this looks a bit thorny, I'm going to move on. Ah, here's some good soil, I'm going to pour all my seed here. That is not the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is, it's like, you're crazy sower, it's never going to grow on the, on the, on the rocks there. But he's just giving it away. Trust that the work of the Spirit will do a work in the hearts of people. You can, you can sow seed, and you can water seed, but you can't make seed grow. Right? We've learned that in, I think it's Corinthians where he says, you know, I sowed and Paul, uh, Paul's water, but God calls the growth. And so the great thing about the kingdom of God is understanding what our role is and what it isn't. Because I can't save anyone. Right? I can't make the soil be open and ready either. I can just sow seed. And I can just water that. And then I'm going to trust in God that his job is to cause growth. So... I get to point people to Jesus, but I can't make it happen. He can. Does that cause any questions for people? We can go in other directions. Any confusion or like, yeah, but what about? Okay. Who wants to go next? Wendy does. And then Mark, you're in the queue, okay, mate? People need to repent or they will go to hell. Oh, was that your one, was it? Was that... <laughs> you two are in tune. People need to repent or they'll go to hell. Oh, let's take a deep breath. There's a really important point about learning the difference between theology and ministry. So theology is how we know the Word of God to be true. The truths that are in the Word of God. The things that are unmistakable, they go, but the Bible says. And ministry is how we apply that and how we utilize what we know about God. And one thing I've learned, well, I think it really came to the fore for me since pastoring, but maybe it was brewing in me before, is that you can be theologically correct and what I would call in my ministry, theologically correct and pastorally unkind. So let's just take it out of evangelism for a moment. You know, we know that God is good. We know that he loves us. We know that there's a hope of heaven. And we know that he has this amazing plan that he's working together for good. If I'm going to meet with someone who's just lost their child, I'm not going to quote that theology at them. I'm not going to say, I know you're grieving right now, but you know, God's got a plan. And he's really good, God is. And you're going to meet that child in heaven one day. Cheer up. I'm theologically correct, but I'm pastorally unkind. And so there's something about how we take the truth of God and we apply it and we minister. And so let's cover some theology so we know what is the word of God. 
because we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But then let's think about what does that mean and how would he use that? So, you know, some simple theology here is the Word of God, you can't read much of it, especially the New Testament, without bumping into the fact there seems to be two destinations after death. There's a life after death, and it leads into two places. There's a judgment that's coming, and we can't bump into the Word of God and read it without realizing that some get to go to heaven, and some get to go to hell. Some experience the greatness of God's presence, and some are judged and go to hell. That is a theological truth. We can have some Bible study around it. We can wrestle with it. But you can't wipe it out of the Bible. Let's have a little read in Matthew. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. This is a way of describing it. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Nobody break out in song now, right? The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. That's what Matthew says. He says... You can only enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. And so it would be easy to then believe that the message that we're telling people is, repent or you'll be on the highway to hell. It's theologically correct. But I'd argue it's not biblical. I'll tell you for why I say that. Our good news, that's what gospel means is good news. Our good news is not... You get to escape hell. That's not the good news. The good news is you get to be with Jesus. <laughs> the good news is you get to not just like when you die, but here and now you get to experience him in your life. You get to experience what we experienced this morning, the presence of God. That is the good news. The best news is not what we're saved from, but what we're saved for. And... and you, I, I encourage you to do this, right? We're not going to have time to do this, but I'll give you one example, but I encourage you this. Go through the New Testament and find where people talk about repent, where they speak out to the world saying, repent. And you will find, because I did this to make sure I've got my homework right, you will find every time where they make a declaration of repentance, it's always matched with this is what you will receive, this is what you'll get, not this is what you're being saved from. I mean, it does include that sometimes, but consistently, it always says, repent, which means think again, have a new thought, think again. You could experience God. I'll give you one example. Acts 2, 38. This is the day of Pentecost stuff. Acts 2, Peter is preaching. Acts 2, 38, he says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive. In other places it says the kingdom of God is near to you. You get to receive the presence of God. We have the greatest of gifts for people. The greatest of invites. We spoke about a moment ago. This gift of Jesus, adoption, hope, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation. That is our message. And that's not to ignore hell. I 
promise you, I am a believer in hell. And, and, and depending on which one you, you might pick, we might talk a bit more about it, right? But what I'm saying to you is when I read the word of God and people go out declaring to people, go repent, he's saying, repent because the kingdom of God's near. Repent because you can be forgiven of your sins and know the reconciliation of Jesus. That is the good news. The good news is not what people are saved from, but what they're saved for. 2 Corinthians, I think, really does it well. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. What's the appeal that God has given us to give to others? He says, We implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come back. Have a reconciliation. Get to know the God of the universe. Get to experience his love. Be reconciled. That is the good news that we have. Questions? Problems? Okay. Where are we going next? Darren. I need to push others to evangelize like I do. <laughs> I need to push others to evangelize like I do. Let's have a look. We, um, we're not going to do this interactively. But I encourage you, when you get a chance with a cup of tea with someone, or if you're out for dinner, if you don't know, ask someone their story of how they became a Christian. I love baptisms when we get to hear the story of why people are there, why they've chosen to follow Jesus. This room is full of stories of how you came to faith. What, what caused that moment for you to go, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus. What led up to it, whether it was a long journey or a short journey, whether it was a, a blinding revelation like a Damascus road or it was a dawning realization, whether it was almost so young you can't remember ever choosing anything different or whether it was late in life. All those stories are in this room and they're tremendously diverse. They all lead to Jesus, but our paths are really diverse. And, and, and they're so personal as well because God knew how to reach you. He knew how to touch you. He knew how to open your eyes. He knew how to get you to that point where you fall on your knees and go, I can't deny there isn't a God. I've got to give my life to him. And, and I think that's the greatest example of that diversity says that that's true out there as well. That those who are going to give their life to Jesus today, tomorrow, next week, next year, they're so diverse. There isn't one way. And the great thing about you, each one of you, is you are uniquely fashioned with a particular DNA and mindset and background and experience and, and, and understanding of God. You are uniquely fashioned and you're uniquely positioned in the house you live in, the school you're in, the place you work, the friend that you have, the family that you're part of. You are uniquely fashioned and positioned to authentically share Jesus with those around you. The question is not how to do it. The question is that you do it. Because he's made you. And the people who helped you come to Jesus, they were uniquely positioned and fashioned to, to reach you. Depends on your story. You might have others you think, I'll never listen to them. Because they weren't positioned right. But, but someone got to you. Someone broke through to you. Or a moment in history did. Or an event. Or just God speaking to you. God 
does these things. When we find our voice, we want others to find theirs too. So when we get excited about, I mean, I want to tell you, and I know not everybody has had this thrill, but I wish that everyone did. It is immensely thrilling to see someone have that moment and for you to be a bit a part of it. It is so thrilling. Uh, you know, I've only ever been there at the birth of my children. I've not delivered anyone else's children, right? But it's a miracle moment. And it's thrilling. And as I understand, those who actually, it's not their children, but they're like maternity or, you know, doctors or just people who help people on the roadside who are stuck or whatever, you know, right? It's a miraculous moment. And the same is true when you see someone come into the kingdom of God. And, and, and the challenge for us is that when that happens, we're like, you've got to do it too. And, and there's so much diversity. We, I just want to allow that freedom that says, be you. One of the things that I've discovered as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a leader, is I spent way too many years trying to be somebody else. It's exhausting. Right? When you're just comfortable in who you are and allow God to fashion you as you are, it's liberating. And so embrace who you are. Embrace how you authentically share Jesus. And be you with those around you. Because they know when you're being weird. They know when you're not being you. Right? They know it. They're like, oh, you've gone all strange now. When you're you, you're you. Matthew 9, 37 to 38 is a great scripture about evangelism. Matthew 9, 37 to 38. It says, Jesus said, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That is the reality. There is a massive world out there. Massive world that needs Jesus. There's a huge harvest field, and the workers are few. Right? So what does Jesus say? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. I'm going to pick on Dave because I've heard him speak about this a few times. Something has gone inside of him that says, I've got to get out there and tell people. Something has gone on inside. So there's, there's, there's almost like a virtuous circle that happens in the kingdom of God. We get fired up for the lost. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest. That, that's meant to take us to our knees to pray. Lord, do a work inside the heart of other people. And so this, 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 this myth, who, who picked on it? It was Darren, wasn't it, right? It's not I need to push others to evangelize like I do. I need to get on my knees and ask the Lord of the harvest to stir up. Because, oh man, don't ever be pressurized. It doesn't work. Right? You, it has to come from inside. It has to well up like a spring. And so you get to pray that, Lord, would you stir up inside others? Or equally, maybe just pray for yourself. Say, Lord, would you stir up within me? I'm not interested in this. We had a whole morning, Trevor was rambling on about evangelism, and I'm just not interested in it, God. Would you do something in me? Would you do a work within me? Because apparently I'm meant to care about this stuff. So, Lord, would you do something in me? Because once it's inside you, it bubbles up out. No one is ever pressured or guilted into evangelism successfully. It doesn't work. Right? What happens is a conviction of the Spirit rises up and says, I don't want to do this, but I've got to do it. 
or I'm scared, or I don't know how to do this. But, but there's an unmistakable stirring of the spirit. I'm hoping my wife won't be upset with me. I won't go into details. But yesterday, Karen said to me that God gave her a little stern talking to. And I said to her, only God can talk to you like that. <laughs> right? And I've had that too, right? I know those times when you're like, whew, okay, God. But because he loves you, because you know he loves you, because you know he's got you, you know, you can take sometimes some tough talk. But when someone else gives you the tough talk, you're like, well, back off. There's things that only God can say that go, go on, come on, I've got you. So let us ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Questions? I think we've got time for one more. Who wants to have the last one? Oh, oh, oh. Are you going to give way to your mother-in-law? Or are you going to... Uh, are you going to... Let's hear both of them. Which question was you going to ask? Eve? I'm not called to be an evangelist. Mine was atheists. Okay, fine. Well, let's do both. I'll do quick, right? We'll do... Um, uh, we'll do atheists first, and then we'll do I'm not called to be an evangelist, right? Atheists are missing out on Jesus. So the thing I want to just kind of break down a little bit here in this bit is that we have a kind of a, a categorization that goes on in our mind. Right? We often separate the world into different groups for different reasons, in different you know, causes. And, and we often have this view that some are particularly far from God, hard to reach, you know, so if you're an atheist, that's got to be like far from God. I mean, they don't even believe in God or, you know, maybe an adamantly like um, militant atheist that no one should believe in God and it's ruining society. And uh, it's true, right? Psalm 41, uh, so, so Psalm 14 verse 1 says, only a fool says in the heart there's no God. And, and then he says they're corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. That's the way that the psalmist talks about those who don't believe in God. They're foolish and they're corrupt. And so, in some ways, this, this, um, this myth of atheists missing out on Jesus is one of those yes and. Yeah, of course they are. Of course they're missing out on Jesus. They don't believe in him. But when we get fixated on any particular people group, we can forget that that's true of everybody. <laughs> it's true of everybody. It can lead us to ignore anyone who hasn't put their trust in Jesus. Because we look and think this particular group is far off. And it may cause us to want to reach them. It may actually cause us to go, they're never going to get Jesus. Don't go down that road, right? But what it can do is it can cause us to ignore the fact that if you don't put your trust in Jesus, you're just as lost. There's no more lostness. You can't be more lost. <laughs> Jesus has two categories. Those who have trusted in Jesus have in relationship with him, who are adopted into his family, who are born again, and those who aren't. There's just two. There's not subcategories. There's not worse places in hell or more distance from God. There's just in his family and not in his family. And, and Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father unless they come through me. And, and he even spoke to religious people who weren't trusting in him. Because they had a form of religion, but it wasn't a religion based upon Jesus. And he says, you're far from God. So Jesus is out there in the marketplace. He's got those who don't believe in God at all. He's got those who think they believe in God, but haven't put their trust in Jesus. And they're all lost. And he's going, all of you need to realize I'm, I'm the son. 
I'm the son of God. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. He, he warned religious people who didn't trust in him that they were sons of the devil. And he also, on a cross, welcomed a thief who'd had no experience with God. I mean, I don't know that, to be honest with you. We only know a little bit about him, but I'm assuming this guy's gone through a life that's led him to it. I mean, you, nobody got crucified for small things, right? So this guy's on a cross, this thief. I am, can you imagine the scene in heaven? Right, this thief is on the cross and dies and then turns up at heaven. You can't have a picture of Peter there. Peter's alive at this point, right? Peter's still denying Jesus, right? So, so he turns up at heaven. And, and, and someone's looking at this thief and they're going, so you, um, you, you put your trust in, in, in justification by faith, did you? That, uh, you know, you're justified by faith. And he's like, what's that about? Okay, well, I mean, you, you, you've read your Bible then and the, the scriptures and you prayed regularly. No, no. Okay, well, you, you was at the, the synagogue regularly. You know? No, no. You led a fairly good life. No, no. What are you doing here then? The guy on the cross said I could come. That's it. <laughs> That's all he's got. That's all he's got. Jesus is the only way. And anybody who's not there is just as lost. And so there are opportunities for anybody who hasn't received Jesus. And whatever your category is of this particular person who's lost in this category, if they're not trusting in Jesus, they're all lost. They're all opportunities. I just don't want us to miss out on anybody. I don't want us to have a, a ranking, a categorization that, that, that means that we ignore that there's, there's people who may even, you know, may even go to church regularly but haven't really put their life in Jesus. I mean, we go around beating over, everyone over the head, but the invitation is there for all of them. Do you get to put your trust in Jesus? Michael, what was your one? Yours was... Um, Oh, that was so. I'm not. I'm not called to be an evangelist. Okay, let's wrap up with. No, I'm not called to be an evangelist. So some of our terminology unhel- is unhelpful because um, we use words interchangeably, and I want to maybe just get a bit specific about certain wordings. Um, I think you need to distinguish between an evangelist, a witness, and a disciple. Okay. So in, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about evangelists in terms of the different ministries that go on within the church. It lists five different ministries. And when it talks about those five different ministries, so it's, it's, this is Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, if you want to write it down. But, you know, he talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. So he's saying not everybody is an evangelist. There's different ministries, but if your ministry and your calling and your gifting is in one of these, in evangelism, as an evangelist, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So, no, not everybody's called to be an evangelist. It's a calling. And the calling for an evangelist, just like all of the ministries, is to equip the body to do the work of service. But we are all called to be witnesses, and so in, in Acts 1.8, just before Jesus ascends, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. 
It's for all of them. There's some people whose ministry is evangelist to equip the body, but we're all called to be witnesses to the truth that we've known, to what we've experienced. And then Jesus also, in Matthew 28, is again in this wrapping up part of he's about to ascend. He gives them the Great Commission and he says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And so some are evangelists. They're called to equip the body to share the good news. But we're all called to be witnesses. And we're all called to be disciples. To make disciples. Not just to be disciples, but to make disciples. And so if... um. If it's true that we're all meant to be witnesses and we're all meant to be disciple makers, then we all need to be prepared for the work that God has given us. I think there's two key things. Prepared to shine for Jesus, for it to be seen on the outside, and prepared to answer the questions that come up when you do show it on the outside. So again, some scriptural basis for this. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 is where Jesus talks about your light on a hill. No one puts a light under a bushel. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the, ha- in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So we're all called to shine. We're all called to not hide our faith, our Christianity. And, and actually, this, he focuses here on good deeds. So there's something about the way we live that bless others, that causes them to see that there's something special about that. More than just you're a good person. And so for them to connect that the good things you do is about your Christian faith, and they have to know you're a Christian. So we're all called to shine and not hide our light under a basket. And 1 Peter... 3.15 says you better be ready. says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. Be ready to explain it. Be ready. That's the, that's the life of the Christian believer. That's the calling for all of us is that we would not hide that we're a Christian. It's just who you are. I don't suspect that people will know, he's not here this morning, but people will know Roy for long without knowing that he supports Bromley. <laughs> right? It just comes out of him. I know it comes out of him, he's a Christian as well, right? But you know what I mean? Some people just, there's, there's, there's just that's who I am. And, and if it's who you are, then, then don't hide it. Let it shine. Let people see it. That's the calling for all of us. And get ready. Because when people start to know that about you, what's fascinating, and maybe we'd have picked on other things. I'll do, I'm going to do this again next week. We've got some more to cover. I might think of a few more as well, right? But, so we might go some other places and I can cover some other stuff. So don't get me wrong. If we, we do this next week, I'm sure we'll cover the fact that we are meant to share the good news. But I just want you to pick up on this bit, which is we're also meant to kind of be ready for the, for the askers to come to us. 
just to go around life ready and prepared like, who is it, Jesus, you might put in my path today? Who might ask that little inquisitive question that's like a little doorway opening? This is, oh, I can, I can give an answer to that. I'm ready. I'm prepared. And some of you are off-the-cuff people. So you're like, that's fine, okay, I'm ready. Some of you are like, oh, my goodness me, what would I say? And that's fine. If you're a what-am-I-going-to-say person, maybe spend some time thinking about it. Be prepared. You know, I know full well, if, if I'd have got ill during the worship... I'm like, I've got to go home. I could have grabbed Dave Tate and said, can you preach this morning? He'd be like, I'll open the Bible, see what God's going to say. That's great. He's got a gift in to do that, right? Others would be like, uh, can I have three weeks' notice? And that's fine as well because we're all different. So if you are someone who needs notice, I'm giving you notice. Get ready. The more you let people know that you're a Christian in your authentic way, not in a weird way, not in trying to be someone else, but just being you, how'd your weekend go? Yeah, Saturday we did the gardening. I won't mention Sunday. <laughs> Talk about your weekend, right? You know, Let people know where you are, what you're up to, what's important in your life. Not in a pushy way, but it's just part of your character. And then be prepared. They're going to ask you at some point about that. Well, why is that? Or well, why did this happen? And be prepared. And also, can I just say, be prepared to say, I don't know. Right? Be prepared to say, you know what, I've always wondered that as well, and I haven't really got to the bottom of that. But I still think I'm trusting Jesus, even though I don't have all the answers. You know, be prepared. If you need a bit of time, think about it. Because when you make yourself available, God brings opportunities. He just does. And so be ready for it. He's warned you, always be prepared. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. Lord, thank you this morning. We've been able to open our eyes and our minds and just get ourselves thinking a little bit more about this. Lord, I pray that through orientating ourselves around your word, that we're a bit stirred up, a bit encouraged, a bit more ready, a bit more available, maybe a bit less stress on our shoulders and a bit more, a bit less guilt or pressure, but that we would just naturally be those who share you with the world around us. Thank you, Lord, that we're not sharing bad news, but we've got amazing good news. And Lord, help us in the reality that many, many people aren't interested. And we don't understand that, God. How can anyone not want this? Lord, help us to live with the reality that you said this narrow gate that very few people choose is to heaven. And the very broad road that people lead is to destruction. Lord, help us live with the fact that this seed keeps landing on stony ground and on thorny ground, and every now and again we see it land on good soil, Lord. That, that challenges us and perplexes us. But, Lord, don't let it stop us sharing you, because the world out there needs to hear about you, Jesus. And I especially pray that scary prayer, Lord, that even this week, Lord, would you give an opportunity that's unique to us with the people around us, to just have a conversation about you, Jesus. And trust that, Lord, you will get people over the line. <laughs> that you will open up the good soil to receive the seed. That no one can stop growing. Because when you plant that seed in good soil, God, nothing is getting in the way. Amen. Amen.